and this is still not out in mainstream media. I'd like to know why. Ah, the question I ask every day. Still asking. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Yes, we are blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us once again today as we try to make sense of it all wish us luck we need it um and yes we are still looking at the numbers as they're coming in the election results as they're coming in the provisional ballots as they're being processed uh the absentee ballots as they are being processed no we have not yet called the race one way or another for uh, hillary clinton or donald trump and in fact less than 100,000 votes in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania now separate Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Uh, And in fact, what that means, and I guess I'm going to have to keep repeating this over and over again, is that if 50,000 votes in those three states were actually cast for, were actually recorded for Hillary Clinton instead of for Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton would now be the president-elect, not Donald Trump. So were those numbers in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, were they recorded correctly? Just 50,000. This is closer, by the way, folks, than the 2004 election was, in uh, which you know one state alone, Ohio, had six votes in each precinct gone for uh, John Kerry instead of George W. Bush, John Kerry would have been named the president at the time. Just six votes. This is closer than that. So there are people uh, who are looking, still combing over these numbers, trying to make sense of them, trying to figure out where and if hand counts might be able to uh, to take place. I'm doing everything that I can to work with those people, to advise people, uh, you know, as possible to make sure that the uh, election results as counted were the election results uh, that actually reflect the will of the voters. There is a lot of reasons to be concerned. A lot of voter suppression that took place in advance 
uh, of the election that took place concerning the voting rolls, voter suppression that took place on Election Day, but questions about the actual results and are they accurate uh, are still unknown because for the most part, all of those uh, ballots that were cast have not been confirmed by actual human beings. They've been counted only by computers. So we will keep our eyes on that, I promise, as we go forward. And I will yell and scream and set my hair on fire once again uh, if there's anything that uh, you need to know about right away. In the meantime, breaking news over the weekend late last night up in uh, North Dakota where police were using water cannons and tear gas on protesters at the Dakota Access Pipeline site where the uh, the Standing Rock Sioux Nation uh, and other Native Americans from around the country have gathered to protect their water uh, that is near this uh, proposed, well, the this Dakota Access Pipeline that is now being constructed. Law enforcement used water cannons uh, and uh, what appeared to be tear gas late on Sunday night. Skirmishes began around 6 p.m. after protesters had uh, tried to remove a burned out truck on what's known as the Backwater Bridge, not far from the encampment where they have been uh, protesting for weeks. The Morton County Sheriff's Department estimated some 400 protesters sought to cross that bridge on State Highway 1806. Uh, Desi Doyen, I know you were following some of the live streams last night uh, as this was going, as these protests were going on, as the police were uh, sort of going all bloody Sunday. Uh, Selma, yeah. you know, Edmund Pettus Bridge type thing from it, 1965 it, on the protesters. It was pretty crazy. Remember, these are sub-freezing temperatures. I think in some areas they were saying that it was 18 degrees last night. So dousing protesters who are unarmed with water cannons mm-hmm. is leads to a very dangerous uh, yeah. you know, situation It's of, of mass hypothermia. Uh, there were emergency medical technicians on hand at the camp to treat the protesters who were injured. They reported seven people went to the hospital. 160-something were were injured, Mm -hmm. um, not including those who had the mass hypothermia. Uh, We also have a clip from uh, an EMT who was there. His name's Leonard Bremholt, as he announced. Leland. Leland Bremholt, yeah. Leland Bremholt. This is what he had to say last night in the middle of the protests. My name is Leland Bremholt. I'm a medic here at Ochetis Cowan, and we have seen at least four Gunshot wounds, three of them I know to the face and head. Rubber, rubber bullets. And this is still not out in mainstream media. I'd like to know why. How are, um, how are people doing with the, um, they're being sprayed by water, right? Water, pepper spray, and tear, tear gas. Right now we're trying to keep people warm. We're trying to get them decontaminated and, and treating uh, all kinds of different wounds. People have been hit with canisters in the chest or the leg and that sort of thing. Um, the panic causes people to move abruptly and so sometimes someone falls down. So uh, we've seen all kinds of stuff already tonight and the night's not done yet. Now, the sheriff's department had told NBC News that the reason that they used the water cannons was to put out fires and they weren't targeting the activists. But NBC News, in their own article, noted themselves that uh, that video posted to Facebook clearly showed the authorities were spraying activists with a continuous stream of water where there were no fires. So they were lying. 
about their use that of would, water cannons. Yeah, yeah, the video tells the tale. His, uh, that EMT uh, saying, you know, where the hell is the mainstream media? Why is this not out there? Well, it's clearly uh, they, it's not out there because they were, you know, busy, busy covering what happened at a Broadway show over the weekend, I guess. Uh, here is um, some news you, uh, you know, much of America has not heard a- about at all. Hillary Clinton has agreed to pay out millions of dollars in fraud settlements to victims uh, that she and the Clinton Foundation bamboozled in a massive fraud scheme. There would have been... uh, So maybe, you know, maybe we dodged a bullet here because there would have been impeachment hearings over this, a constitutional crisis had she become uh, president, uh, you know, after being elected and then agreeing to pay out millions uh, to settle fraud cases to hundreds if not thousands. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. My mistake here. That was Donald Trump. (laughs) I'm confused. Okay, it was Donald Trump who agreed on Friday to pay $25 million dollars to victims of his fraudulent Trump University scam, uh, which is not a a university at all. So this didn't have anything to do with the Clinton Foundation. Imagine that. This was Donald Trump's scam foundation, his his scam university, never mind his scam charitable organization. But imagine, imagine had that been Hillary Clinton. Uh, who who had you know been elected uh, on on Tuesday and then a week and a half later agreed to pay out twenty five million dollars to victims of her fraud schemes, and so instead of calls for hearings uh, and impeachment, the mainstream media instead of that. They've been talking about what happened uh, to vice presidential running mate uh, Mike Pence when he went to a Broadway play over the weekend and he got booed by some folks in the audience. That is what sucked up all of the time. That's where the mainstream media were. In case they uh, that emergency medical technician up in North Dakota was wondering, that's where they were. That's what they were covering. Mike Pence got booed. Trump took to uh, to Twitter after it happened, uh, said, called, said that uh, Mike Pence was harassed at the theater, demanded an apology from the cast of Hamilton, the musical, which uh, had a very, very respectfully had asked Mike Pence uh, during the curtain call to protect all Americans, many of whom they pointed out for very good reason, are very frightened right now. There's a lot of people who are frightened right now. And with that, this $25 million fraud settlement that had uh, broken on Friday, uh, signed by Donald Trump, uh, coverage of that pretty much completely stopped. And I don't know if any of the Sunday Network news shows actually bothered to cover it, but they did talk about Hamilton. They did talk about Vice President-elect, if that's what you want to call him, Mike Pence getting booed by some people uh, in the audience there, some people who are exercising their First Amendment right to do exactly that. The New York Times, of course, was beside itself. They thought that this was just incredibly disrespectful um well maybe so the first amendment uh doesn't say anything about respect however uh and particularly in a case like this uh it's going to take a lot of people booing it's going to take a lot of people making a a hell of a lot of noise because the corporate mainstream media is not going to do it uh friday evening 
Uh, the Washington Post had reported on about 100 foreign diplomats who were gathered at President-elect Donald Trump's hotel in Washington, D.C., as Ian Melheiser over at uh, Think Progress reports it, to, quote, sip Trump-branded champagne, dine on sliders, and hear a sales pitch about the U.S. president-elect's newest hotel. In Washington, D.C., the tour included a look at the hotel's $20,000 a night townhouse suite that these foreign diplomats are welcome to stay in and uh, put $20,000 into Donald Trump's pocket if they wish. The, uh, the Post also quoted some of the diplomats saying they intended to stay at the hotel in order to ingratiate themselves to the incoming president. Why wouldn't I stay at his hotel blocks from the White House so I can tell the new president, I love your new hotel? said one diplomat from an Asian nation, according to the Washington Post. Isn't it rude to come to his city and say, I'm staying at your competitor? Yes, it is. Why, yes, it is. It would be rude. In other words, uh, the incoming president, as Milheiser notes, is actively soliciting business from agents of foreign governments to stay at his hotel. Many of these agents, in turn, said that they will accept that offer to do business because they want to win favor with the new leader of the United States. This, according to George W. Bush's ethics uh, chief ethics counsel. Oh, my God. Yes, George W. Bush Ethics Council, a, a guy by the name of Richard Painter, who's now a law professor at the University of Minnesota, says that uh, Trump's efforts to do business with these diplomats, diplomats is at odds with the provision of the Constitution intended to prevent exactly this, intended to prevent foreign states from effectively buying influence with federal officials. This is the Constitution's emoluments clause which provides that no person holding any office or profit or trust under the United States shall, without the consent of the Congress, accept of any present emolument, office, or title of any kind whatsoever from any king, prince, or foreign state. So uh, the effort, the diplomat's effort to seek uh, uh, Trump's favor, uh, quote, looks like a gift, according to Painter. Uh, he says that the diplomats are not staying in one of Trump's expensive luxury hotels because he's uh, charging their nation a reasonable market rate for the night stay. They're staying there because of the added value that comes from doing business with the president of the United States. And Painter says, quote, it had better stop by January 20. Yeah, don't hold your breath. Think Progress asked whether uh, Trump can cure this, uh, this impending violation of the emoluments clause by acting uh, differently once he's sworn in as president. Uh, after all, the message that diplomats can earn the favor of the new president by staying in his hotels has already been received. It is already, they already made this clear to these foreign diplomats, and it was reiterated in the Washington Post. It can't be unsaid, as Ian notes. But Painter uh, responded that the only good answer, only good answer, remember, George W. Bush's uh, chief ethics counsel. Painter says the only good answer uh, for Trump is to sell the hotel or give it to his kids and pay the gift tax by January 20. 
Uh, it, it is conceivable, uh, Milheiser notes, that a rival hotel may have standing to sue Donald Trump for taking away its business with foreign diplomats in violation of the Constitution uh, under that emoluments clause. But it's far from clear that any hotel would want to risk a feud with the notoriously vindictive president-elect. He goes on to say, however, there is one remedy under the Constitution for such a violation of the public trust by the president, and that would be impeachment. Impeachment. That article over at Think Progress is a headline, Trump poised to violate Constitution his first day in office, according to George W. Bush's ethics lawyer. In the meantime, uh, that uh, Trump's uh, D.C. hotel is soliciting foreign diplomatic delegations to switch their business over to Donald Trump's new hotel. Uh, On Tuesday, we are are now learning last week, Tuesday of last week, we're just learning. uh, Donald Trump took a a, a break from his uh, transition work to meet with his Indian business partners about expanding the Trump organization business in India now that he will be president. Uh, Trump included his adult children in the meeting, says Josh Marshall, the ones who will run his quote unquote blind trust where he's supposed to be putting these businesses. And the news did not reach the American press at all until it was reported in an Indian paper. So this is... um, This is remarkable that in the middle of this transition, which is already running behind, Donald Trump decides to have a meeting with his Indian business partners uh, and with his kids who are supposed to be taking over the business now, even while he's in the transition. He meets with these people and the American media either doesn't report it or doesn't know anything about it. We have to hear about it from uh, from an Indian paper. And Josh goes on to note, we are now learning that Trump's Philippines business partner, a guy by the name of uh, Jose Antonio, has now been named the Philippines new trade envoy to the United States. So the guy who he does business with in the Philippines will now be the trade envoy doing business with the United States with Donald Trump. Well, that's convenient. Doesn't that work out nicely? Uh, There have also... uh, As uh, Josh goes on to write, cashing in bigly in Argentina, there's been a flurry of uh, these stories I just went through about these conflicts of interest. Now there is more this time in Argentina. Apparently for a number of years, Trump and his Argentine uh, partners have been trying to build a major office building in Buenos Aires. The project had been held up because of complications related to financing and uh, building materials and various permitting uh, requirements and so forth. According to a report, again, out of Argentina, not out of the U.S. media, but out of the uh, Argentina press, uh, when Argentine President Mauricio Macri, is it Macri or Masri? Not sure, uh, called President-elect Trump to congratulate him on his election, Trump asked the president, the Argentine president, to deal with that permitting issue that are currently being uh, that are currently holding up his uh, his private personal project, that major office building. Thanks for calling to congratulate me. Now, will you do something about the permitting for my building in your country? This was uh, reported by uh, Jorge Lanata, who is uh, Argentina's most prominent journalist. He's quoted in uh, La Nación. 
uh, one of the uh, big dailies in Argentina. Uh, apparently, uh, he says uh, Macri or Masri, I'm sorry, I don't know the uh, how to pronounce that, uh, called him. But Trump asked for them to authorize a building he's constructing in Buenos Aires. It wasn't just a geopolitical chat. Uh <laughs> So, so why aren't we hearing about this in the American press, Josh asks? Well, remember, no one knew anything about the visit from Trump's Indian business partners until it appeared in the Indian press. It seems uh, like this is likely to happen on many fronts. It's just being hidden from the American press. We only hear about it when it bubbles to the surface in the countries where Trump is pushing his business deals. So what is the American press doing about it? Are they uh, changing anything to uh, try to make sure this doesn't happen? Well, Donald Trump was supposedly elected president more than two weeks ago, and he has yet to hold a news conference. In fact, he hasn't held a news conference since July. This is unheard of. This is unprecedented. And yet that's what's going on in our country while the media and the New York Times is beside themselves that some people booed Mike Pence at a Broadway play over the weekend. Really, U.S. media, this is the best you got? Apparently, yes. Apparently, this is the best they got. We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about exactly that with Eric Bollert from Media Matters. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. I read the news today, oh boy. Oh boy, indeed. About a Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Remember when, way, way back in February, uh, oh, we were all so much younger then, uh, the CEO of CBS, Les Moonves, was talking to a bunch of CBS affiliates, station executives and owners and so forth, and he was asked about Donald Trump's presence in the GOP presidential primary campaign, and he said, as you may recall, quote, It may not be good for America, but it's damn good for CBS. The money's rolling in, and this is fun, he said at the time. That, of course, is how all of the network and cable news outlets largely dealt with Donald Trump throughout the campaign, scrambling to give him free airtime any way that they could. Uh, It resulted in, uh, frankly, billions of dollars of free airtime. This is fun, they all seemed to be saying as their ratings went through the roof. Any time that they had Donald Trump on saying anything at all, no matter how inane or offensive or completely untrue that it was, 
That, as other candidates in the GOP field, not to mention those on the Democratic side, fought to receive any attention whatsoever from the corporate mainstream media. Immediately following the election, Media Matters' Eric Bullert wrote last week, as media outlets were examining their role in helping Donald Trump become the next president of the United States, New York Times editor Dean Baquette and publisher Arthur Salzberger Jr. assured readers that, quote, we believe we reported on both candidates fairly during the presidential campaign. So, no, Bullard wrote, journalists don't seem to be interested in self-examination and they certainly don't seem open to admitting that their occasionally colossal blunders helped tip the scale in Trump's favor. In fact, Quite the contrary, he writes, citing Politico's take on the media coverage. They wrote, quote, the press succeeded in exposing Trump for what he was. Voters just decided they didn't care. Really? Yeah, well, really. The press appears to think that they did a perfectly fine job in covering Donald Trump and a perfectly appropriate job in the way they covered Hillary Clinton. I spoke in the uh, in the last segment about the difference in the way they covered her non-criminal use of an email server versus almost completely ignoring the fact that on Friday, Trump admitted he defrauded hundreds, if not thousands, of so-called Trump University customers by agreeing to pay $25 million to settle fraud cases against him and the fake university of his. Imagine how that would have gone across in the media had Hillary Clinton won the election, and then agreed to pay $25 million to settle fraud cases against her and the Clinton Foundation. Uh, By the way, there are no such cases against either her or the Clinton Foundation. Here to talk about all of this and whether the uh, media learned anything at all throughout this process and what we can expect most likely for at least the next four years, is our old friend Eric Bullert. He is Senior Fellow at Media Matters for America. He is author of Bloggers on the Bus, How the Internet Changed Politics and the Press. Eric, I think you're going to need to do a sequel. As well as Lapdogs, How the Press Rolled Over for Bush. Oh, there's going to need to be a sequel there as well, I suspect. (laughs) Hey, Eric, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, you, you've been writing uh, quite a bit, both before and after Trump's apparent, apparent stunning election upset about the corporate media's failure in their coverage of, uh, of Donald Trump. And I, and I want to talk about that today, uh, if they've learned anything and if we can expect any of their coverage to somehow improve during a Trump administration. But first, Eric, let me ask you this. Did you and or Media Matters, as an organization both of whom I think it's fair to say generally supported Hillary Clinton throughout the uh, throughout both the general and I think the primary. Did, mm-hmm. did you make any mistakes in your own coverage during your uh, the course of your reporting on this insane campaign? Uh, well, the mistake I made probably more on Twitter was just believing the polls, right, and assuming that um, that Hillary Clinton was going to win, that the demographics were on the uh, on the Democratic side. Um, and that Trump would not be able to flip um, states that Mitt Romney lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as we know now, you know, thanks to 100,000 voters combined in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. you know, he he was able to do that. And uh, and look, you know, the you know, I I, t- I tweeted several times after the campaign. I wish people would 
ask why the polls were wrong. Mm -hmm. Why was, you know, why was the first woman nominee leading in 110 of the final 114 polls in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin? You know, Hillary Clinton on election day had a three-point lead nationally. Mm -hmm. Does a woman to become president of the United States have to have a five-point lead? Uh, you know, on election day, is is there a disconnect between what people tell pollsters and maybe what they do uh, in the voting booth uh, mm -hmm. when a woman is running? Uh, so if 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 I made a mistake, I don't think Media Matters, uh, you know, all of our stuff I think was very solid in terms of the fact checking and things like that. But you know, if I made any mistakes on Twitter, it was it was essentially a <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say believing the polls and 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 the sad part, honest and b. Um, kind of uh, believing in 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 the in the better side of American voters, and, and that were I was kind of let down on that end too. Well, I, you know, I will. Uh, you you ask uh, you want to know why the polls were wrong. I'm going to continue to ask Eric if yep. if the polls were wrong because you point out uh, you know 100,000 voters. In fact, that is 50,000 votes across three states. 50,000 votes recorded for Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump, yeah, 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 and she becomes the president. So, yeah. uh, you know, and in all three of those states, human beings have not counted those ballots. So I'm still fighting to count those uh, ballots and make sure that uh, the polls uh, weren't, weren't right, and including the exit polls, by the way. Well, right? you know, the fact, you know, she's going to end up, I mean, people are amazed she's up by 1.7 million votes. When it's mm -hmm. done, she'll probably win by 2.5 million votes. Mm -hmm. I mean, California still has millions of votes to count. Um, and, and and in that sense, maybe the polls weren't that wrong. I mean, she's going to win by one one or two points nationally, uh, percentage points. Yeah, well, no, uh, na so nationally, I think those polls were right. But you know, state by state, there was she won every poll in Wisconsin. I think for you know yeah. the last month and a half. Oh and yeah, and so after after right after the election, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blaming the press, basically portraying the Clinton campaign as insanely inept. How did she ignore Michigan? How did she ignore Wisconsin? Uh, again, in those two states, she was she led in like 78 of 79 polls. I, I would like to see a campaign that pours money and resources in the final weeks into states where they have not trailed ever. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it, it's look. There's 500 unanswered questions. Um, after this election, and, and, you know, a lot of them regard the media, as you said in your piece. And look, so what are we, what are we now learning? Well, we're learning that Trump is, hasn't even been sworn in, and he's trying to cash in on mm -hmm. the presidency, right? Yep. He, he's throwing all, you know, kind of ethical norms out the window, as he's thrown every norm out the window. This should surprise nobody. And I, was, and I wrote in July and August, you know, when the, when the press was absolutely mating <laughs> if that's a word, mm -hmm. over uh, the Clinton Foundation, right? People right. forget before Comey and the FBI and the emails, the quote-unquote scandal that was dogging her was was her landmark charity. Uh, and, and, and the Clinton Foundation was routinely depicted as some sort of uh, criminal enterprise, and of course there was no such thing. But in the summer I said, I was running, I said, why, you know, the Clinton Foundation coverage was based on the um, the acknowledgement that there was no wrongdoing, but it looked bad, right? It was the optics. It was the appearance of conflict of interest. Right. And as I pointed out, if Donald Trump w becomes president, 
he is going to have, you can't even count the conflicts. Oh, so, I know. And so I was asking, you know, in the summer and the fall, why aren't people focusing on these conflicts? Trump has, has signaled he, will, he would refuse to put his businesses in a blind trust the way Rip, not, Mitt Romney said he would, you know, his assets and things like this. I said this is you. It, I said it's going to be impossible to tell where the foreign, U.S. foreign policy ends and his business dealings begin. Uh, and uh, silence, right? Just just radio silence from the press. And here's here, I'll end real quick mm-hmm. on your first question. But this is the bottom line: the press did not think Trump could win, so the press spent. Most of the campaign, certainly the last couple months, trying to make life miserable for Hillary Clinton, trying to make sure she limped across the finish line, trying to make made sure there was no there was no nothing to save her because for lots of reasons they didn't like her and they didn't want to see her succeed. So this was kind of a game, you know, the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton emails. Let's make sure there's nothing uh, wonder, you know, don't let her celebrate. Don't right. let her celebrate on mm-hmm. election night. And lo and behold, it turns out Donald Trump could win. There is a, a case can even be made, Eric, uh, that, you know, the media, you're right. They didn't think that Donald Trump was going to win. Therefore, right. they were trying to hold her feet to the fire. And right. they probably overheld her feet to the fire. But, right. but but let's make the case. OK, you know, they think she's going to be the president and they want to make sure there's not going to be conflicts of interest with right, right. Uh, Which is fine. Clinton Foundation and all of that. Uh, that you can even make a case that, OK, that was appropriate. But now. You got on Friday alone, uh, Donald Trump signing this $25 million payout to avoid yes. fraud trials for Trump right. University. This meeting with these uh, foreign lobbyists at his new hotel in Washington, D.C., encouraging right. them to stay there, which, you know, essentially amount to an unconstitutional gift to the next president of the United States. And not to mention all kinds of other problems that all took place at the end of last week once the media seems to know that he will be the next president of the United States. And yet the coverage all weekend long was of uh, his his vice president, uh, Mike Pence, getting booed when he went to a a Broadway show over the weekend. And this includes on the the Sunday shows who were talking about Hamilton, you know, getting booed at, at Hamilton, but not about all of those other things. So what's the excuse now for these same media uh, people. Yeah, I haven't heard any good excuse. You know, Media Matters did a couple items today. We did a piece. Sunday shows basically ignored the Trump University settlement. Uh, President-elect agreeing to pay out $25 million because he ripped so many people off. Uh, you know, this is the, this is one of the ironies. You know, the, the press and Republicans have tried to depict the Clintons as criminals, not bad politicians, not dishonest, not on the wrong side of the issue, but as criminals for 25 years, they've fantasized that they run some sort of far-flung criminal enterprise, whether it was Whitewater back before the Clinton Foundation or the Clinton Foundation. Turns out Trump is doing exactly mm-hmm. what they had fantasized that the Clintons were doing in terms of ripping people off. But you mentioned before, so if you flip the script, imagine if Hillary Clinton lost the popular vote by $2 million. Days later, she had to announce, uh, 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 mm-hmm. you know, she, she won the electoral math, lost the popular vote by $2 million. Days later, had to announce a $25 million settlement. I guarantee you, the Washington Post or the New York Times 
would publish an editorial asking her to step aside, mm. asking her for the good of the country <laughs> to ask Tim Kaine to take over, because she can simply not govern. If she's going to lose the popular vote, if she's going to admit fraud, there's no way she can unite. I guarantee you yeah. those editorials would be published coast to coast. Yeah. And, and New York Times, for the, for the mm-hmm. fraud, one article to date. They have published one article uh, about this um, you know, this fraud thing, uh, and and you know, mm-hmm. New York Times and, and and the Washington Post post you know published hundreds hundreds of Clinton Foundation articles. You, so there's obviously something completely off whack uh, out of whack. I just did a piece today because the New York Times public editor, mm-hmm. who's supposed to be the independent voice looking at the newsroom uh. and and critiquing, mm-hmm. she did a piece. She looked back on the campaign coverage. She decided the biggest problem was the New York Times was too mean to Trump supporters. To Trump supporters, Too right. dismissive of Trump supporters. She did not set aside one sentence to look at how the Times treated Hillary Clinton during the campaign. You uh, you actually mentioned some of those editorial boards at some of those papers uh, during uh, one of your articles late last week. You said, uh, well, you cited the, the mainstream media editorial boards calling for Clinton to shut down the Clinton Foundation charity organization before the election because of that appearance of conflict of interest. The Boston Globe wrote, even if they've done nothing illegal, the foundation will always look too much like a conflict of interest for comfort. The US, uh, USA Today wrote, the only way to eliminate the odor surrounding the foundation is to wind it down and put it in mothballs. Washington Post, impressions such as these are corrosive to national institutions. Have we seen and and this is a serious question because I don't know. Have we seen any editorial boards making similar calls now for Donald Trump to shut down his uh, never mind his charity organization, but right. obviously his his you know billion dollar uh, no, no. company. Look, you know during during the campaign there were none of these. There were almost none of these editorials about a the Trump Foundation, mm-hmm. even though it turned out to be essentially a Ponzi scheme. A, there were no editorials, very few about the Trump University. There were almost no editorials about him demanding that he, um, you know, uh, make sure there's no conflicts of interest if he becomes president. And that goes back to my, uh, you know, central point. If you want to understand the coverage, the press did not think Trump could win, held him to almost no standard, and then specifically went out of its way to make Hillary, li- Hillary Clinton's life uh, miserable. Um, and and so those and and those um, those editorials you mentioned, you yeah, know, just dripping with condescension, condescension, right? Explaining to this woman how the world really works, explaining to her that this landmark charity, um, you know, that's helped so many AIDS victims around the world, et cetera, explaining to her that she needs to shut it down during the campaign. Right. These were not editorials. Hey, if you become president, we'd really got to work out these conflicts of interest. They were telling her in August, send everybody home, cut off all funding to your programs around the world. And I'm just like, wow, people have just like gone through the looking glass if they think this is, this is, this, these are uh, the priorities facing this country is to shut down charities helping poor people around the world. And are we seeing, and, and again, you've seen at least to date uh, nothing similar from these editorial no. boards when it comes no, to I Donald mean, Trump. I think the Times had something today about this conflict. I mean, how can you not? I mean, this is this is making a mockery 
of the presidency. He's just going to buy and sell. It's exactly what I said Mm -hmm. over the summer. He hasn't even started making foreign policy decisions, right? So when he starts making foreign policy decisions, it's going to be impossible to tell where America's policy begins and his his business dealings uh, start. It's all going to, you know, and and it's going to make... like so many things he's undertaking, he's going to make a mockery. So it's bad now. It's going to be 10 times, 100 times worse when he actually grabs the reins of power. Uh-huh. And, 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 and so just now we're having a couple, you know, newspapers saying, hey, this doesn't look good, you think? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, uh, how how does this... Uh, yeah, how does this happen? I mean, you, yeah. you, you've mentioned that she was, uh, you know, she she was a woman, and and maybe there was some sexism involved. I mean, it, it's got to be more than that, though, does it not? I mean, because we've seen the similar sort of disparity in treatment between Republican candidates and and Democratic candidates, Republican presidents and yeah. Democratic candidates for years now. So it's got to be larger than sexism. What is it, this about? Yeah, no, it, it sexism played a role, and it. it's part of a larger problem. Look, you know. <laughs> This idea that there's a liberal media and the, the idea if you're a Democrat or a progressive and you sort of secretly think the New York Times is on your side, I mean, this, is, this whole process has been such an eye-opener for people. You know, and Media Matters has, has been trying to warn people for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, none of these people are in your corner. None of these people are willing to fight your fights. None of these people uh, are, are go to work, uh, it seems to me, in order to tell truth to power. Uh, you know, I've been tweeting over and over since the election, you know, particularly the D.C. press, the elite D.C. press, it's all about self-preservation. It's all about how to find your way in the new Trump world, how to make sure you have content, how to make sure you have enough access to produce enough work. It, it is not about truth-telling. It is not about pushing back. He has bullied these people you know, he obviously bullied them during the campaign, just calling them disgusting liars, hurting mm-hmm. them into these behind these metal barriers at his rallies. Hasn't had a press conference since July. I mean, I honest, I, I, I mean, Melania Trump will move into the White House before this guy ever has a press conference. <laughs> I guarantee you. I mean, this is like waiting for the Trump pivot. It's not going to happen. There's going to be almost no release of information. From a Trump White House, I have no idea if they're even going to have daily briefings, and, and and like so many other things, there's no law that says you have to have a daily briefing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a tradition, um, and he might just walk away from it, just like he's walked away from you know the president should try to sell the Oval Office to the higher bid, highest bidder. So, uh, the the, the lar- in terms of how did this happen, you know, the press is over always overly impressed by Republican hardball. Uh, they are scared to death of the liberal media charge, and and Trump has just taken this to a whole new level. So th- they were bullied, as you see it. I mean, clearly yes. they were. And, they and, were bullied. <laughs> they despised her very dangerous combination. Uh, yeah, you you also wrote uh, in the I think it was in the lead up to the election about yeah. um, Media Matters. I believe did a study, and we we talked about it a little bit on this show or on the Green News report of how. How there was all issue coverage, coverage yeah. of actual issues completely disappeared in the media in the lead up to this particular election. And and there were some. No, I couldn't find the uh, report just before we went on air here. But uh, I think you might have some of those numbers at your fingertips just to give us a sense of how the media stopped covering really 
all matters of actual issues. It became about the personalities, period. Personality, polling, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, Andrew Tindall, who monitors the mm-hmm. evening network news specifically, you know, the, the hallmark stations, uh, shows for ABC, CBS, and NBC. He's been monitoring their, their content for 20 years. He documents it week by week, year by year. Uh, and he came up with some interesting numbers in terms of um, what's been covered this year. Uh, and in terms of campaign issue, um, you know, kind of identifying a problem, infrastructure, poverty, guns, drugs, and then looking at what candidates are going to do to address those issues. Mm-hmm. This has been, this has been a, a formula that Network News has used for decades. Um, 35 minutes for in all of 2016 for all of the candidates, primary season, general election, 35 minutes for foreign policy, climate, infrastructure, the debt, abortion, all of them, 35 minutes. For the Clinton emails, 125 minutes. On just the emails alone. On just the emails alone. <laughs> uh, and and to put that, that 35 minutes in context, 2008 when Obama and McCain ran, two mm-hmm. new candidates, two new faces mm-hmm. per se, 210 minutes the network's devoted to issues. 35 minutes this year. Uh, so that's, that shows you what a radical step it's taken. And specifically for, you know, the Clinton policy coverage basically didn't exist. Why? They created a whole news category, Clinton emails. Clinton emails basically became a placeholder to discuss her entire campaign. But there's only so many minutes in the day on network news. So if you're devoting this monstrous amount of time to Clinton emails, guess what? There's no, there's no, time for policy you cited and, and, and specifically on the, on the climate yeah of those 35 minutes yeah zero <laughs> went to climate uh, yeah i know zero, zero. zero which is so disturbing especially with and right that's now for the primary and the general the, the, it's mind-boggling the arctic right now is 36 degrees warmer <laughs> than it is supposed to be 36 degrees right now uh and uh, and they could not come up with a single minute to cover climate, uh, no, you know, despite the fact that the next president is going to have such a huge effect. But right. uh, you, you mentioned uh, in your piece of uh, Patrick LaForge, who is a senior editor at the New York Times. And we've both you and I alike have gone back and forth with these senior editors at the New York Times. But uh, he suggested that it was the FBI that made Clinton emails such a big right. issue late in the campaign. They were just following the FBI's lead. Um, you don't buy that? James Comey comes out and says we're going to, you know, reopen this investigation. Don't they uh, have to cover it? As yeah, they did? it's a story, but again, perspective, right? To date, the Times has published a total of one story on the on, on the Trump um, uh, fraud lawsuit. In a week after the Comey FBI announcement, yeah. uh, the New York Times ran 22 stories, seven front-page stories in three days. This is while... People are voting. Early voters are going to the polls. The day after Comey and the, uh, the FBI announcement, that front page of the New York Times, it was like a, uh, the man had just land, landed on the moon. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was a cr- every article above the fold, uh, you know, everything w- was about Clinton emails. So, yes, it's a story. Yes, um, they blew it completely out of proportion. Um, five largest newspapers in America in the week after the FBI announcement published 100 articles, something like 49 of them 
on the front page. I mean, it was just beyond ridiculous right. in terms of what they did. All right, two quick questions yep. uh, before we go. Uh, how 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 do we how can balance? I mean, you and I have been making these same complaints now for yeah. over a decade. So. How can balance of some type, and I mean the good type of balance, uh, be restored here? Uh, you know, the Tea Party, they attacked the New York Times in 2010. Uh, Trump, you know, has been doing it now for years. The right has yeah. been doing it for years. Is that, is that what is required uh, from the progressives, from the left, whatever, from Democrats? I mean, uh, how can this script be flipped, Eric? I know, I know, and a lot of people have been asking that, uh, particularly on Twitter. What do we do? What do we do? I mean, people are really beside themselves, and 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 they see it every day, and they see the normalization of Trump, which we haven't even really talked about that much in terms of you know him appointing white nationalists. I mean, mm-hmm. the Holocaust Museum had to put out a statement today. Because it's so freaked out by you know the the, yep. the gathering of Trump supporters over the weekend uh, in D.C. You know the alt right mm-hmm. nation and things like that. Yep. I mean none of this, none of this is is normal. And yet, what's on the news today? Uh, you know, smiling TV anchors heading into Trump Towers for their off the record meeting uh, with Trump. Um, so people are completely freaked out. I wish I had a better answer. Yeah. Um, you know. I, I don't know. Yes, it's going to take pressure from the left. Uh, but look, we, we Media Matters, you know, we don't make stuff up. You know, we print transcripts. We do fact-checking. Mm-hmm. The right wing was able to intimidate the press, not with, you know, serious fact-checking, but with, you know, wild Nonsense. and hateful allegations. And I don't yep. think we're ready to go there. All right, uh, last question, and, and like that previous one, I suspect it's something that we're going to have to be talking about for quite a while. But, uh, Eric, I think I, I noted you uh, on Twitter uh, last night, I think it was, uh, charging that U.S. press freedoms themselves, that U.S. press freedom is in danger. Well, don't we still have the First Amendment? How How is uh, press freedom in danger as you see it? And I know that's a big question to dump on you at the very end here, but like I said, we'll, we'll pick it up in the future. Uh, yeah, well, I, I th- I'm talking specifically in terms of how the Trump administration is going to deal with the press, right? He hasn't had a press conference since July, basically didn't answer any questions from the press. Um, I think their their plan is just to turn off the spigots. I mean, you know, the daily briefing at the State Department, at the White House, not returning calls if you cover Treasury, labor, anything. I just think they don't care about the press. Uh, they don't care if the press is upset uh, because they've known, even if they treat them like crap the way they did mm-hmm. during the general election, you know, they didn't pay any price. So I, I, I think... Again, like most things, people haven't quite realized what we're in for, and specifically specifically in terms of press freedom uh, and press intimidation and the complete lack of any attempt at transparency. Um, you know what? That's how I think they're, uh, we're, we're going to face a possible crisis. Well, you know what? Uh, let me uh, see if I can find that bright side, uh, Eric. Maybe <laughs> if you, it, maybe if they cut off the access to these people, these people won't work so hard to keep their access, yeah. and they'll actually go out and do some goddamn reporting that doesn't rely on, uh, you know, keeping good favors uh, with these people. So maybe that'll happen, but, you know, 
trying to find whatever I can. <laughs> Good for you, Brad. Eric, Eric, <laughs> Eric Bollard, Senior Fellow at Media Matters for America. Check out his work, of course, at MediaMatters.org and still one of the best follows on Twitter at, uh, at Eric Bollard. Uh, Eric, always great talking to you, my friend. I suspect we'll be doing a lot more in the near future. All right. Have a great holiday. Thank you, brother. You too. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Oh, it's too hot, too hot, too hot, Way, way too hot. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Way too hot in the North Pole. I had uh, mentioned that to Eric uh, Bullard just a, a second ago. Uh, Desi Doyen, do you, and I'll get into some of these details, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't get to, uh, had some more here today on this uh, Jeff Sessions, the guy who has been this racist uh, Southern uh, senator from Alabama who has been named to be uh, Donald Trump's attorney general. Do you think he would have sent in, uh, who would have taken action against the civil rights of those Native Americans whose rights were... Uh, you mean, would Jeff Sessions, as Attorney General for the United States, stepped in to protect the civil rights of protesters, the Native American up protesters? Up in North Dakota for the Dakota Access Pipeline, who are peacefully protesting, uh, as is their right up there. Would, would he have done that? Would he have gone, you know, the way we saw in uh, Selma, Alabama, when the National Guard was had eventually had to be sent in to protect voting rights protesters? Would have uh, you mean Jeff when Sessions the police and now used used water cannons yeah. against the civil rights Just protesters? Just like we're in seeing Selma? now, yeah, yeah, uh, probably not. So uh, we'll we'll try to get to that tomorrow uh, if we can. And this uh, this big conference over the weekend that Eric also alluded to where these uh, white nationalists were uh, celebrating in Washington, D.C., chanting things like Heil Victory and uh, giving uh, the Nazi salute. Uh, Very, very happy about Donald Trump as the next president. Very, very happy, by the way, about uh, Jeff Sessions becoming the next attorney general. They were all delighted. We'll get to that. But uh, some news that I want to make sure to get to, because this I I finally noticed this over the weekend, and it's... um, it's really creepy. Uh, the way uh, Chris Mooney writes about it at Washington Post, uh, political people in the U.S. are watching the chaos in Washington in the moment. But some people in the science community are watching the chaos somewhere else. The Arctic. It's polar night there now. The sun isn't uh, rising in much of the Arctic. That's when the Arctic is supposed to get super cold, when the sea ice that covers the vast Arctic Ocean is supposed to grow and thicken. But in the fall of 2016... Something is totally off. The Arctic is super hot. At the same time, one of the key indicators of the state of the Arctic, the extent of sea ice that covers the polar ocean, is at a record low. 
The ice is freezing up again, but as it always does this time of year after reaching its uh, September low, but it isn't doing so as rapidly as usual. In fact, the ice area is even lower than it was during the record low of 2012. And uh, quotes a a climatologist saying, uh, pointing to one of these charts, saying, as you can see, temperatures right now north of the uh, 80 latitude were around negative 5 degrees Celsius. That's still below freezing, but not by all that much, instead of the normal, which would be around 25 degrees below Celsius. In other words, as the headline says, the North Pole is an insane 36 degrees warmer than normal as winter descends. And this caught my eye as uh, Bill McKibben had tweeted out this uh, this graph uh, that I've been trying to tweet at the Brad blog over the past uh, few days here to get people's attention here. This It's a graph of uh, total global uh, sea ice, the area of the global sea ice over the last 40 years. And there's a, a line for each of the last 40 years. Uh, showing how, you know, the ice increases in the winter and then it dips down in the spring and the summer and then it goes back up in the winter. And uh, while there have been uh, record low ice, sea ice, that's both Arctic and Arctic over the past few years, um, in general, that those lines all sort of work together. Well, the line for 2016 is not even close it is way, literally way off the chart as far as... It is a surprising outlier. There it's is, very, very scary to it, look at. There is nothing even close in the last 40 years where you see these variations from year to year among all of the other years. This one, this line, not even close. Bill McKibben says uh, this is a graph of total global sea ice. The red line is this year. Something is very very wrong. Now, to put it in a sense of perspective, so you said it was 36 degrees. That's 36 degrees Fahrenheit Mm -hmm. in the Arctic, warmer than it should be. Eric Holthouse, the meteorologist for Slate, said to put that in perspective, that's the the sea ice loss Mm -hmm. is about the size of the state of Texas below the previous record. And that's the, is that for uh, Arctic? That's for the Arctic. For the Arctic. Now, as you mentioned, it's also happening. There is a record low sea ice formation in the Antarctic, and that's really weird. It's extremely unusual for such dramatic losses to occur at the same time at both poles. So they really don't know what's going on. Not a whole lot of information about uh, the Antarctic. They're working on that. They need more information and data to figure out what's happening down south. But up north, this is very, very, very concerning. This is uh, I've seen a lot of disturbing stuff this year. But I got to tell you, when I saw this chart, this graph, which is so wildly, I mean, you think it's got to be wrong. There's got to be something wrong with the measurements, the tools, the data. Apparently, they've gone over and over right. this to make sure that it is correct. They have de- checked, double checked, and triple checked this the instruments. This is not even close. This, this happened is... last year as well, and it caused some pretty wacky weather all around the Northern Hemisphere. Not like this. No, not like this. Yeah, not like this. And that's the thing that uh, record low sea ice, record warm temperatures, right. but not having this kind of effect on worldwide ice, which is not even close. It is terrifying. It is what we tried to uh, warn you about in the run up to the election and why this election is and was so important. Something is going very, very wrong, as Bill McKibben of 350.org says. But, you know, maybe it's all just a hoax. And as Eric Bullert noted, Zero minutes spent on the network news in all of 2016 in the lead up to the election on climate change. Yep. 
Heck of a job, guys. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Eric Bollert of Media Matters, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's greatly appreciated. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. And if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it for free at bradblog.com anytime. Thanks to all of you who uh, support our work at bradblog.com slash donate. It is greatly appreciated. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 